Hello, listeners. If you are new to the podcast, welcome. If you are a longtime listener, welcome back. There's some new, exciting things happening with the podcast. First, if you want to keep updated with new episodes and what we have coming up, make sure to find us on Facebook and like the page. You can also make sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to the podcast. Second, we are in the middle of a fundraising drive. We are looking to expand our reach and add more resources for production so that we can keep bringing you interviews from around the city. This includes finding new people interested in conducting interviews in their neighborhoods, but we need the financial support of the community members like you. To donate to the podcast, go to paypal.me backslash faces of GP. That's faces of GP. I'm so proud to be bringing value to my community with educational and informative information to my neighbors in the city, and I thank you from the bottom of my heart for your support. My guest today is Julie Harding. Julie and I were friends at a very young age when we met as across-the-street neighbors in Grand Prairie as young kids. We talk today about being neighborly and what we feel are some of the reasons that neighbors and communities have gotten away from getting to know one another. We discuss the negative impact it has on the older and younger generations when we don't intentionally foster relationships with those who live on the same street as we do and how fostering those relationships creates positive outcomes for the mental health and well-being for all, especially teenagers who need the mentorship of the older generation. We also discuss how to create a neighborhood event that's low key and low stress, especially as we are moving forward from the pandemic. It was so good to spend some time catching up with a lifelong friend, and I think you'll enjoy being a fly on the wall of our conversation. Here's Julie Harding. Hi, Julie. Hi, Jenna. How are you? I am good. I'm doing doing good. I'm here. So thanks for letting me come over to your house. Of course. It's fine. It's actually clean. We just hired the most amazing cleaning lady, and I love it. Oh, really? Yes. So when did you start having that done? Um, Monday. Oh, nice. Yes. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Isn't that lovely to have that help? It's amazing. <laughs> but we specifically, um, she only cleaned certain parts of the house because I said, I want my kids to still learn their chores. So certain parts of the house are still for them to clean. I gotcha. That's a great idea. I like that idea. Um, so Julie, you and I know each other. Because we were across the street neighbors when we were little. Little. Like four. Like five. Uh (laughs) Um, And you and I have, you know, as we grow up, obviously, you know, you go away from being friends and you come back to being friends. And so we got to kind of see each other again as adults when you bought this house, actually. Uh And um, so we played a lot. And our our parents knew each other when we were little. Uh Do you remember playing as much as we did? I do, yes. Uh And I was really sad when you moved away because then the only other kids in the neighborhood were like four years older or four years younger. So I was kind of left in this little island by myself. (laughs) It was was right over by Zavala and we lived on a street over by Zavala. And, um, you know, we moved literally not very far away from where we lived, but we would go to each other's houses all the time. I mean, we we were... riding bikes up and down the street and playing outside, but we were young. I mean, uh-huh. we weren't 10, we weren't 12, we were like four or five. Uh-huh. So we were talking the other day about how we, it, it, how has society changed so much that we don't see kids doing that anymore? Mm-hmm. And so I put a, a Facebook post, I think, where I was talking about how I was just kind of concerned for these teenagers and some of their mental well-being, and obviously the pandemic has some, you know, definitely something to do with that. But you had commented, and I said, I really want to talk to you more about that, and we kind of had a conversation about what are, what can we do to help these teenage kids feel more comfortable as members of society and, and that kind of thing, and so we kind of started this conversation, and I decided that it would be good maybe to, to record it, because I think that maybe if we're having these conversations, I know other parents are feeling this way. So how old are your kids? 
Uh, I have a 11 year old that's in fifth grade and a 13 year old that's in eighth grade. And so have you been seeing some of the same things that I have in terms of kids and their ability to? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So we moved into this house two years ago. Um, previous to that, we were in a house that was in a neighborhood that felt more rural. And so there were almost no cars ex like that came back onto our street and we lived at the back of the street. So there was basically no traffic. And um, we moved in there when my kids were three and like five or six. And it was amazing because there were two other houses, uh, three other houses by us, um, with kids about the same age. And so those kids became like cousins, I would say, or like extended brothers and sisters. And um, they were literally in our yard all the time, sometimes too much, like even when we were not there, we would come <laughs> home and find evidence that they had been leaving snack wrappers in our backyard. Um, and so that part of it I hated, but what I loved is that my kids always had other kids to play with and they were learning the rules of life, like how do you make rules and how do you follow rules? Um, but then um, when we moved to this house, um, there weren't any kids right by us. And I have literally been praying for two years, like God help me find kids nearby for my kids to play with, to hang out with, um, because they just, they need that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, okay, so you just said something that I think is very important. You said that kids learn how to how to play and how to create the rules of life. And I just recently was listening to Jordan Peterson. I love Jordan Peterson. And he has a new book out that's about um, this exact thing. His first chapter is about how kids learn to play. Mm -hmm. And he says they, they will literally get together and create games mm -hmm. that they – Everyone agrees to the rules, uh -huh. and they well. First of all, they make the rules, uh -huh. and then they all agree to play by the rules. Uh -huh. And then when kids don't play by the rules, they learn how to play by the rules. How to sort it out. Yes, it's all social. So it's like, and it's he goes, he goes. You know, when kids are about two, they don't want to play with each other. But then all of a sudden, they become three and four, and then they want to play with each other. Yeah. And but then he also talks about, which I thought was very fascinating. It's. What happens when you have two kids that are at different physical um, physical abilities? Or what happens when you have two kids that are at different mental abilities? Or maybe you have a kid that's maybe a couple years older and has learned how to read and write and the other kid hasn't. He's like, kids will adjust the rules so that everyone gets to play. Mm -hmm. And he goes, so if you have a kid that's always winning because he's bigger and he can, he still wants to play. So they'll create games where they can all play together. And I just thought, how fascinating is this? And, and I mean, that's a biological thing, obviously. Mm -hmm. So, but it's so very important that kids do that. And I think that the more that we become more virtual, maybe, or the more that we're on our phones, or the more that we aren't going outside and putting kids around other kids that they don't know, that's another one, too. I think they're losing the ability to learn how to play with each other. Huh? Would you agree? Yeah, yeah. That's um, we had a really neat uh, experience of the night, and I was really excited to to watch that exact thing play out. Um, we actually went to um, the Green Prairie Fire House, um, whatever place. Yeah. Okay. Uh -huh. And um, it was after one of my son's soccer games, and so we were eating outside, and um, midway through the night. There were a couple of other little boys there that were in their baseball uniforms that had, you know, obviously come with their family after a game. Um, Zach had brought his soccer ball in, and after, um, like, we played cornhole, then two of these other little boys challenged my son and I to a competitive game of cornhole. And then the next thing I knew, after cornhole finished, it was had turned into pickup soccer. And so these two other boys, and then I think maybe one of their cousins, anyway, somebody else showed up. And um, what you're talking about, the size thing, the, uh, like the cousin, he was obviously the youngest and smallest, and he got paired up with the biggest boy. And then um, they just, they made up the rules, like it was somewhere between volleyball and soccer, and they were having a blast. Yeah, because it's not, it's not the point of winning. And when you win all the time, don't get me wrong, there is, there has to be winning, right? Yes. But when you win all the time because the rules are such that you couldn't lose, 
or when you know you're you're being given a, a huge physical advantage it, it's not fun to play when I think about like like we're sitting here and we were talking about board games and um, there are games that like it's when you're always the loser and you're all, there's always a winner it's never fun for either one of those people so when I think about me playing with my 10 year old daughter okay and we're playing checkers I'm trying to teach her how to play checkers Obviously, I have a huge advantage because I know how to play checkers and she doesn't. And so I'm teaching her, but it's not fun for me and it's not fun for her. Mm -hmm. And so because we're not at the same level, but but we can make a game where it's fun for both of us. And um, but then I want her to learn how to be a good game player, too. So it's just so interesting how but, but you have to be around other people to do that. Absolutely. Right. Yes. You can't just you can't be at home sitting by yourself. And play even online, it's not the same thing. There's something about being together, physically together, that creates that opportunity, mm -hmm. right? And then it gives people joy because now you've gotten to know another person. The other thing, too, that I think is when you have a kid that's playing not by the rules and that's being obnoxious about it, the other kids will correct that. And it's hard to be the parent of that obnoxious kid, and I've done it, too, you know, having to be that parent. But watching other kids correct them is how kids learn how to live in a society and not be jerks about it, you yeah. know? Uh -huh. <laughs> and so I just think that that's so important. And I think that we're losing that. And I, I don't know. So that's, that's kind of why we're talking. But one of the things that we had talked about is in a neighborhood, how has this affected our ability to live next door to each other and, and, and engage with each other on your neighborhood. Have you noticed a difference? You were kind of talking about that a little bit when you moved here. Yeah, sure. I mean, um, our previous house was a little bit um, utopia, Narnia-like when it came to the neighborhood and the people. Um, we met our next door neighbors the first time we went to look at the house and I mean, they really became surrogate grandparents for us. and. That's why it was so hard to leave that house, but it was it was time to leave for many reasons. Um, but it was hard to leave the relationship um, more than it was hard to leave the house. Um, and we've struggled to find that here, partly because I think when we moved into this house, our family was going through a lot, and so I wasn't my normal open self, um, like where I naturally go out and meet people, but I was a little more shut down and closed off. And so I think it's taken a while for us, maybe all, to emerge from our cocoon a little mm -hmm. bit. Um, and 50% of the time you've lived here has been the pandemic. That is a pretty Yeah, good that's point. A, yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> You haven't lived here for a very long time when that's it comes true. to that. Yeah. Um, but so it's interesting how um, I've noticed this in many elements of life, but specifically in neighboring, something that could be a problem ends up being a really beautiful thing. So, um, my son is on a select soccer team and recently he's um, been wanting to practice soccer more. So we've been uh, practicing in the backyard and this is the first time we've been like in a neighborhood with like a little bitty neighborhood backyard. Because you came from a house where you had a big lot. Yeah, we yeah. had almost an acre before. Mm -hmm. um, and then even our first house before that, we backed up to green space. And so if we kick the ball over the fence, like we just walk back to the green right. space. <laughs> so, but now there are one, two, three, four, five yards that I can accidentally <laughs> kick the ball into. And so... Um, we have had to go to four out of those five neighbors <laughs> over the last couple of weeks, um, knocking on doors, leaving a note um, saying, hey, we accidentally kicked a ball over the fence. We accidentally kicked two balls over the fence. Can you throw it back? You know, um, can we get that? And our two neighbors on either side of us um, have been super sweet to talk to. Mm -hmm. um, one of them, actually they're both, pretty much retirement age. Um, one of them, they both failed retirement and went back to work because they <laughs> loved their jobs so much. As um, is happening to a lot of that generation. Yes. Um, <laughs> and you could tell, like, my son was so nervous about knocking on the door, like, terrified. Um, but she actually seemed relieved, like, oh, hi. You know, like, hi, neighbor. Because there's been a couple times, like, I accidentally got some of their mail, but it never amounted to more than a 30-second conversation probably because at least one of those times was early in the pandemic mm. and everyone was like, oh, uh, yeah. uh, don't talk to me, go away. <laughs> um, but, you know, this week or a couple weeks ago, she was 
really excited to see me and talked about, hey, let's get together. Um, and so that has been, um, I guess, relieving. Well, it's, as you were talking, I was thinking of the movie The Sandlot. That was the entire purpose of that entire movie, was that they would kick a ball over the fence, and the neighbors seemed so terrifying that yes. they didn't want to go get the ball. But then it ended up, obviously, not being terrifying. But, you know, that was a pretty common occurrence back in the day, is uh-huh. you'd kick something over the fence, or, you know, go tell Miss So-and-so next door that, you know, I don't know, whatever. Or making sure that our next-door neighbors got to church, or making sure uh-huh. that they had the groceries that they needed, and... I'm sure that still happens. I'm not, this is not saying that, you know, we've completely lost sight of that as a society. But I think that in our, in our rush to protect our kids from harm, from people that they don't know, or in a rush to try and make sure that we control everything about their universe and who they know and who they can talk to, there's, we've, we've kind of prevented them from being able to go out there and get to know people that they don't know and form those relationships. And I think that that, we might be robbing them a little bit of some experiences that way. Yeah. And robbing our neighbors of those experiences. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I said, my neighbors seemed excited to to see us and get to know us. Um, um, So I was reading an article this week um, and it was talking about how are we going to emerge from the super lockdown restrictions of COVID and talking about risk assessment and like what risks are healthy to take, what risks do we decide are too much. And so that's the kind of thing that it's not going to be the same for every person. Um, you know, depending on um, your health, um, your parents' health, who's in your, your bubble, your world, um, you're going to make different choices about COVID. And when you decide to stop wearing a mask, if you ever decide, like, when do you go back to church in person? When do you do all of these things? Um, all of those decisions have to be based on, like, your own personal risk and reward assessment, you know, and for um, lots of families, it's not just the physical health, it's the mental health and what do they need. So, um, excuse that tangent, but it, my point is that we have to make those risks risk assessments in all kinds of areas mm-hmm. in our life. Um, the article talked about like, uh, you know, are you willing to drive in a car um, pre-COVID? Were you willing to ride in an airplane? Then you were already making these risk assessments and had already decided that you were okay with the risk of getting into a, a car accident. Because mm-hmm. um, we know that it happens. We see it when we drive on I-20 or, you know, but we've decided that our need to get places faster than what we can walk or ride our bike is worth that risk. And so I think we need to think through that same kind of a process with our neighbors. Um, What are we losing by not knowing our neighbors? Mm -hmm. What can we gain from getting to know them? And is it worth that risk? Like, yeah, what are we willing to risk and what might the reward be? Yeah, and what are we teaching our kids about how to trust their own intuition in terms of that? We were kind of talking about this a little bit before we started recording. Um, you were talking about there's a there's a street that goes in between uh-huh. one side of your street and the other side of the street that you live on. There's a street that goes um, perpendicular. We learned that in fourth grade math this week, <laughs> perpendicular and parallel. Um, so we were talking about it, it's not necessarily a busy road but it's a road that people might drive too fast on and um you know i don't think there's any speed bumps on that road so people might drive a little too quick so you were talking about how the kids don't cross that street Mm -hmm. i mean when when i was a kid there was no limit to where my bike could take me (laughs) and our parents just let us go like Uh and so but but again it was there was a certain level of you need to look both ways. You need uh-huh. to protect yourself. You need to do this. If you get hurt, it's because you weren't doing something correct as a child. Like right. there was a lot more responsibility placed on us as kids yes. to navigate our own intuition, navigate our own the rules. And I we might be taking that away from them by trying to keep them from harm's way. Uh-huh. Too much. Absolutely. Like uh, I'm specifically thinking there was a stop and go that was Probably, (laughs) I don't know, would you say it's about half a mile from where we live? Yeah. And um, we had to cross a decently large street. Mm -hmm. Like, it was a 40 mile an hour street, Mm -hmm. two lanes going in either way. 
there was not a stoplight or crosswalk in front of the stop and go. Um, and then there was not a light there at that there time. There was not a light there. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, so beside, even beyond the stop and go, I had a friend that lived beyond that stop and go. So you had to cross that street as well. And I, probably the same friend. Yes, the same friend. <laughs> uh -huh. Yep. And so, um, as a kid, we took mostly nightly walks, like, you know, probably five days a week, most weeks. Um, so I knew the streets with my parents. Um, I don't remember if I rode my bike with my parents that much, maybe a little bit. Um, but I'm guessing it must have been on those walks that they talked to me about traffic safety and looking both ways and yada, yada, yada. Because um, there wasn't even like a, a ramp, like a wheelchair or bike ramp. Like you'd have to stop, get off the bike, walk across the road. Um, but I, I'm confident that I rode to that stop and go to get a slushy um, while I was in elementary school. Yeah. Um, and so I think I've tried to do similar things with my kids. I love to ride my bike. And so I get that not everybody loves to do that, but it's something I love to do. Mm -hmm. And so I take my kids out with me and I try to remember at certain times, like to let them lead and make sure that, um, like from our house, we can ride to the library. We can ride to a couple of different parks. Um, we can ride to the donut shop. So if we're going to get a treat and get donuts, well, you got to get on your bike and ride there to like earn that. Oh donut. yes. <laughs> um, and so when we're leading, okay, you take, or when we're riding, you take lead. You decide if you're going to push the button for the crosswalk. You decide when it's safe to go. And that way they're practiced so that, you know, when they say, hey, can I ride to the park? Yeah. That's right. And, you know, I, when I think now, my daughter just learned during the pandemic how to ride a bike. She's 10. And, I mean, I knew how to ride a bike when I was in kindergarten. <laughs> I don't really know why I didn't teach her other than... I don't, I don't really know why I didn't teach Life her. Gets busy. Yeah. And, and so, but then I thought this is just one step to autonomy, mm -hmm. right? Having a bike. Okay. Yes. We all need to learn how to ride a bike in the event that there's some type of bike emergency and we need to get on it. I don't know, but like <laughs> you, you want to ride a bike, but really what a bike is, is independence. Yes. And that's the same thing with roll with, with rollerblading or skateboarding a car at some point. Uh -huh. We're teaching them how to be independent and how to navigate the world without us constantly telling them how. And you talked about family riding. I don't remember doing that a lot as kids. I don't know that we ever went on a quote-unquote family ride-along uh -huh. of a bike. But you see it all the time now, which is great. That's not to say that it's not good. But there was a lot more of me doing it myself with my friends. Uh -huh. and, and really trying to... But, but again... The other part of that was we did know our neighbors. I mean, I, whenever, whenever I was in elementary school, even after we moved away from where you and I mm -hmm. used to live, I knew every single person on that street. Uh -huh. Either there was a teacher at our school or just my parents knew or whatever. I'm actually Facebook friends with my childhood friend. We used to go out in front of her yard and she was my next door neighbor at the house we moved to. And we would get roly polies from underneath that stone. But... We all knew each other, and I'm afraid that we've kind of lost that a little bit. Mm -hmm. And um, during the pandemic, one of the things that I had Avery do was a lemonade stand. And I did it for a number of reasons. One of them was I wanted Avery to learn how to work for money, you know, and how to create mm -hmm. a product that other people wanted to purchase or buy and consume. But I also did it for the mental health of our neighborhood because there's something about seeing a kid with a lemonade stand that just makes you happy. Yeah. And I don't know what it is. It's just, you see them and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't even want lemonade, but I'm going to go over there and it's I'm probably, nostalgic. yeah, I'm not even going to give them 50 cents if they're asking. I'm probably going to give them two or three bucks because they make me happy. I see a kid working hard, but then you also get to know somebody. Uh -huh. It's, it's a, it's an excuse to bring people to your house uh -huh. to meet each other. Uh -huh. And there were people that showed up and then all this, and, and this is during the pandemic. It was last summer. Um, we were socially distancing, but we still got to see each other's faces and I could tell those adults needed that too. Uh-huh. Right? Uh-huh. 
Yeah, so, uh, so two things come to my mind when you uh, mention that. Um, at our first house, this was years ago when my kids were like toddler preschool age, um, we had a horrendously hot summer. I think it was that summer where we had like 100 de days of 100 degrees or more. And, yeah, as we're um, complaining about the cold right now, right? all I can think of is we're not going to be complaining about that in no, a couple of months. But it was like late August, and it was also ridiculously dry. Like it literally had not rained all summer, mm -hmm. like maybe since May or 1st of June. And so one, I think it was like a Sunday, August afternoon, it rained. And it wasn't like a ridiculous downpour. It was a gentle rain. But so my kids love to play in the rain, so we came out. But then our, like, retirement age neighbors <laughs> came out to play in the rain because, like, we just, people needed that connection to each other, to nature, etc. cetera. Um, but it, I guess the other thing it thinks, like, sometimes we can wait for opportunities to just come along and then sometimes we have to manufacture them and i guess what i'm going to say is a combination of both um, i mentioned earlier that i've prayed for the two years we've been in this house to meet kids in the neighborhood um, and it's been a slow wait um, as i have been walking um, in the pandemic like everybody else did um, i started to get to know one family on the far end of our street that's across like this you know kind of main neighborhood street um, they have two kids similar age but I was usually walking by myself. The kids weren't with me. So I started to chat with the parents and see the kids. Um, and then recently I was out and they were on their bikes and there was I another I should say girl. before you continue that we do have a special guest and it is your puppy. Oh, That yes. comes and goes inside of the So if you hear that, that's what that is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, her long nails that need to be trimmed on the wood floor. Or her shaking and you can hear the jingling. Yes. <laughs> like that's, that's her. Anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. That's okay. Um, and so... Um, anyway, just over the last couple of weeks, um, I have like inserted myself into a conversation. Like I was literally walking by and I heard two moms talking about the neighborhood middle school and I was like, oh, I've got a kid that's going to be there next year. And like, I totally just jumped in on their conversation, um, and was super self-conscious about it. But later they were like, no, that was great. Like, you know, and, and uh, so yes. then, um, one day, I think, anyway, somehow my son ended up seeing them on their bikes and I twisted his arm and got him to go out. And so he's begun riding his bike with them. And so I decided I want to get to know these families better. So I made, like I went on Canva and made a super simple little invitation that said, hey, come over to our house and um, hopefully, fingers crossed, we're going to have a few neighbors come sit in our front yard Sunday afternoon. Um, that is amazing. And I think that, oh, okay. So inserting yourself into conversations is something that we all need to get better at. And I tell people when they go, how do you get people to be on your show? And I'm like, I ask them because people have lost the ability. They, they just, you automatically assume, you know what somebody's going to say. You assume that they're going to say no. You assume that, they, and that's just salesmanship one-on-one. Right. But like being able to just go, and I'll even preface a lot of times I'll go, I know that I'm interrupting, but I just overheard y'all say blah, blah, blah. And I want to talk about this. And yeah, it might be rude and I might walk away and they might go, oh my gosh, she was so rude. But most of the time that doesn't happen. Yeah. And it's like, oh, we need to get to know each other, you know? So, and if they seem put off by it, then I walk away and who's, who's the worst for it? Fine. It's, it's okay. Another person in my neighborhood wanted to get to know me. Oh no, that's terrible. Like, no. So I think that inserting ourselves into conversations is not shouldn't be considered rude it should be considered that's how you get to know people yeah that's how you get to know people <laughs> yeah yeah uh-huh especially these days if we're not like because of the pandemic we're not at church we're not in these social settings where we're almost forced to interact mm -hmm. um we have to look for opportunities and take risks yeah take we risks. do absolutely take risks yes and 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 the risk in that moment would be to be socially rejected yeah right yeah, uh-huh okay it might happen uh-huh most of the time it doesn't though no and so even um a couple days ago when i went to deliver these little invitations one of the families wasn't home and so um i decided i was going to take the invitation to the door which i was nervous about because you know some people get really upset about like oh solicitation yes mm -hmm. uh-huh and so i was super nervous about it and then they pull up as I am walking away from the door. And I was like, oh my gosh, she's going to think I'm like some crazy creeper 
Morgan's like looking in her front window or something. And I said, hey, I was just dropping off an invitation for Sunday afternoon. And she got the biggest smile on her face and was like, wow, thank you. Like she seemed genuinely surprised and happy that I took the time to do that. Oh, that is so amazing. And you and I had a conversation a couple weeks ago, which is what spurred on us even talking today on, you know, and, and recording it. We talked about sphere of influence, and I think that you made a very good point that I hadn't really put much thought into, but you said, we go to school, we go to church, we go to these places where we have, you know, people that we come to get to know because we have similarities to one another. Especially in church, I think, you know, you're surrounded by people that think the same way as you for the most part and all that, and we create these bubbles of influence. Neighbors are not something we can control, right? You don't, you can't control who moves in next door to you, which is a beautiful thing because then you get to know people that you wouldn't normally have gotten to know previously. Uh-huh. So, it's it's that is diversity. That's true diversity. When you can get to know people that you would not have chosen, but that you are kind of, and I don't want to say forced because that's not really a good word, but mm-hmm. you know, put in a situation where you don't really have the choice in the matter. And it, but you make the choice to get to know them anyway. And I think that that's one thing that if we can start focusing on really local, how to get to know your neighbors and get to know people that are different than you, right? Yes. The only thing you have similar is the fact that you all wanted to live on that same street. Right. That has nothing to do with what you like, what you don't like, how you were raised, your culture, none of that. So I think that's important. Well, and I think the attitude with which you approach that relationship is critically important Mm -hmm. like are you approaching it um, with an adversarial nature like oh my neighbor look their fence is trash and you know like assume you're the new person that moved in like oh they've been here why haven't they fixed it or why um, why is their landscaping out front trash like it's overgrown and it is a mess well maybe one of the adults in the house is sick maybe they have a special needs child maybe they're never home on nights and weekends because they're taking care of an aging parent somewhere else. Like maybe they're working two jobs to put, you know, a kid through school. Like there are so many reasons why things might not be up to our standards because their struggles are different than the struggles we know. Um, so are we approaching them as an adversary or are we approaching them in love? Um, it just, I don't know, it, it can... Well, I think that's, again, going back to the rules that we create for, for kids, right? When they created the rules and everything. Okay, so an HOA is basically a forced rules onto everyone. <laughs> but when you have a neighbor, a street, that the neighbors all know each other, what tends to happen is you become a lot more compassionate and you become... Uh-huh. A, because then you're like, okay, I know that so-and-so's mother just got diagnosed with cancer... And I know that so-and-so is going to be away for a long time because she's going to be going to help her. Hey, 16-year-old boy, you need to go over there, son. You need to go over there and help her mow her grass. Uh-huh. It's, and, and, and it's not that we would go, why is that person not mowing their grass? It's we know that she wants help or she might need help and not know how to ask for it yeah. or not be able to pay for it or whatever. Uh-huh. So we're going to send our children to go help them. Yeah. Or maybe we know that... Um, and, and also, the other thing that happens is, let's say that you do have a neighbor that just doesn't care, right? And, and so that they just really are just not great neighbors. The more neighbors that they'll know, there's a much greater chance that they will start to care more about how their yard looks, about how their fence looks, about how their... Mm-hmm. Because they care what other neighbors think about them, because we're all part of the same game, mm-hmm. right? And we all have... There, there is a... There is a a societal benefit that exists where we all need to play that game together because it makes all of our houses look better. Right. Well, and I mean, I often probably get accused of being like too soft, but I'm really big into understanding the psychology of why people do things because if you understand that, then you understand the real motivation of what's going on and are Mm -hmm. more able to change it. So why do they not care about their house? Why are they a crummy neighbor? Well, is it because they've been rejected and not included? And so they've decided, all right, I'm out, guys. Like, mm-hmm. I, I'm just not going to put any effort into this. And so 
if you make the effort to um, befriend them, um, and you know, we, we've seen in movies, sometimes they can be crusty and it can be a long road, Right. but, um, and maybe it'll pay off, maybe it won't, but what do you really have to lose? You know, like you can gain all kinds of character building. Um, yes, yes. That. Oh, absolutely. And you know, what happens if their grass is not growing because they literally don't have a green thumb and don't know how, mm -hmm. or, I mean, and we're obviously there's, there's sometimes we try to complicate the matter with making something more serious or more of a big deal than it has to be. It's not the end of the world. If somebody's yarn's not mowed a hundred percent of the time, you know, but at the same time, I think just getting to know who lives around us and for the express purpose of just knowing who they are as human beings and not just what you can get out of them or what you can shame them into doing better or whatever, just getting to know who they are and realizing that they're not all going to be exactly the person you would have chosen, but you can get a lot of use out of each, each of us can get use out of the other. I think that also this and serves mutually beneficial relationship. Thank you. That's exactly right. And the multi-generational thing is another thing that you and I had discussed, and I think that we need to talk about. That's, that's so very important. It's vitally important. Yes, kids need to be around other kids, but kids also need to be around other adults. Yes. And especially the, 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 the older generation in whatever that might look is, is very important. You had mentioned you know, a surrogate set of grandparents. Yeah. We had the same thing. Mm -hmm. And... I, I feel like the more authority figures that a kid can have in their life and now how they can learn how to navigate, how different people are authority figures and how they, how they can respect it is just going to make them better citizens in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Like, because there are so many different ways to love and care for people. Like me, I'm the soft, sweet, you know, psychology side of things. Who's always been like, well, tell me how you feel about that. But then I think about, you know, our neighbor Cal um, at our previous house and his way of showing love was um, that neighborhood had ditches, um, you know, instead of like um, storm drains, it had ditches. Some, and at our end of the street, they were super, super steep and incredibly challenging to mow. Cal was a pro at it, and so he mowed everybody's ditches um, <laughs> because he had a mower that wouldn't tip over. Um, and he would build fires in the back and, like, you know, just draw people to come mm -hmm. and sit with him. And so I think it's important as we want our kids to find their true personality, like, because. In almost all cases, our kids are not exactly like us. They're not carbon copies of our personality. What? No. <laughs> I know. Shocking news. But they've got to try on. I mean, we all know how awkward middle school is. Mm. And that's what middle school is. It's trying on, for so many people, you're trying on different personalities to see, like, is this who I want to be? Um, like, I remember trying on cursing and like being mean <laughs> and like do I like the way I feel when I do this and I think if we give our kids more adults to see they get to see traits that they like in people and mm. traits that they don't like um, oh that's such a good point they can try it on and see how it feels that is such a good point um and we so I think that this also is beneficial for the older generation too. Because I think as you get older, it can become a tendency to get more crotchety or maybe negative or cynical maybe. And being around kids gives you hope that the world is going to be a good place after you're gone. I think that's something that the older generation really likes to see. And I, I keep saying older generation I'm 40 years old, guys. I'm not like, <laughs> like, I'm not trying to say that people are old. I'm just saying, as you get older, and it happens with me too, you just become more cynical. And when you're around kids, and you see that kids are still kids the way that you remember kids to be, and the world is not going to hell in a handbasket, and this is going to be okay, I think it gives them hope. Um, we have a next door neighbor, and they don't um, have kids that come over all the time. I, I'm not sure if they even have grandkids or not. But Avery will go over there, and she, the other day, we couldn't find her. And she, I've taken away electronics right for right now because she needs to focus on school, and I, it's just such a 
it's such a mental suck of her everything. <laughs> it's it's a it's a mental suck of ingenuity, of creativity, of yeah. being bored mm-hmm. and figuring out what to do with your time. So she's been playing outside a lot more. Well, we looked and I was like, she's over there next door. And I don't know if she'd gone and knocked on the door if they just happened to be outside with their dog, but she brought over some mud pies and she's like, I made some mud pies. And, you know, I just wanted to see if y'all wanted any. And this is how I made it. And they were just so excited to have her over there. And my parents, who we, I moved in with during the pandemic, they go, they go next door and they go, you can send her home anytime. She will come over here and talk your ear off. But, but you know, and they were like, no, we love having her. And they just sit outside and they'll just chit chat. And then when I see them, they'll, they'll tell me, your daughter's so sweet, your daughter's so... And, and it makes me feel like I'm raising a kid. So there's no bad thing about this at all, right? So, but the other thing, just like what you're talking about, is it creates in our kids a sense of intuition. And also, just like what you said, that's such a great point of learning what kind of personality traits you like and what kinds you don't. That's such a great point to make. Uh-huh. Well, what you were just saying. So something I think I've learned is... Uh, I'm a Christian. I believe in the kingdom of God and bringing about God's kingdom on earth. And I think a lot of times we get so scared that when we need help from others, that it's a burden on them Mm. because we can't do it ourselves. We assume it must be a burden for others. Um, But several years ago, um, I started a nonprofit organization. And so, I mean, it was just such a huge, huge endeavor. There were so many things that I couldn't do and I was trying to keep I did not know this. That you had started that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And I was trying to keep a thousand plates spinning at one time and and that's just not possible. And so like I was always last minute asking people, can you help with this? Can you help with this? Can you help? And I felt like so much guilt and like shame even Mm. that I was having to ask people for this help. Like I should have asked them earlier. I shouldn't be asking all, all of those negative feelings. But in the end, what I saw is every, almost every time. These people were saying, thank you for letting me do this, do that. Like they were so thrilled to be helping in that way. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it was filling their joy. It, you know, they were doing the things that they loved. And it sounds like that's what was going on with your neighbor yeah. as well. They loved spending time with Avery. And so we get so scared of asking others for help, but really, and I mean, think about yourself. Don't you love helping with the things that you're good at? Right. Yes. Right. You feel fulfilled and happy when you're able to help others with what you're good at. So what we have to try and do a better job at is getting to know people right. and getting to know, like, I could ask so-and-so to make me a meal because they would love that. Like, the, cooking an extra meal, no problem. But if I ask so-and-so, that would be like pulling a tooth out because right. <laughs> they don't cook, you know, it's just not going to happen. Now, they'll come over and watch a movie with you all day yeah, long and bring right. junk food, but or, they don't want to cook dinner. <laughs> or they will take your dog while you go out of right. town. You know, they would love to do that, but the, pers- the other person who will cook your meal is terrified of dogs, and she would never, you know, uh, dog sit for you. So as we get to know people, we get to understand what asks are burdens and which ones are actually joys. That is such a good point. Um, in my last neighborhood, when, when I started becoming, when, when I got my real estate license, I was trying to figure out in the beginning what kind of marketing was going to work well for me. And so there's all these different ways that you can go about doing it. You can get leads. You can do this. You can do that. Well, I listened to a um, top producing panel where a guy said, he lived in um, Viridian, which is on the north side of Arlington, and he was like, I'm basically the exclusive agent for my neighborhood. And he goes, because I realized that I loved parties. So I just started having neighborhood parties. I would have weenie roasts. I would have, you know, pumpkin decorating contests. And I was like, that's exactly what I'm going to do because I'm such a social person. I love talking to people so much. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm going to do that. That sounds like a good idea. So as a way of spreading the word about me being a real estate agent, I just started doing that. And so what I did in my neighborhood was I started, I went to the guy that would do neighborhood night out, who um, actually is um, the husband of, the, of Betty Warmack, who is the oh. Warmack Library. But he lived on my street and he was getting older. And I said, hey, um, do you need any help with National Night Out? And he said, oh my gosh, I'm getting to the point where I can't really do a whole lot. I still want to participate, but I'm so glad that you took that upon yourself. So I was like, okay, great. I can help with that. So then I started doing that. 
Then I realized, okay, I can do, because that's in the fall. I was like, I can do one in the spring. Let's just have a weenie roast. It doesn't cost very much money to have hot dogs. <laughs> I'll just go to Aldi and get some hot dogs and hot dog buns and have people over. And at first, people were like, okay, what? So the first time I did something like that, we had some participation. The second time, there was a lot of more participation. Then I started saying, okay, well, I can have events over where I can invite our local city councilmen, our local school board, and so that people can get to know our local elected officials. Uh-huh. Any excuse I had to have a party is what I did. <laughs> when I left that neighborhood, there was a lot of people that said that a hole existed because you were our, you were our social person. But other people didn't know how. And so I think that that's something that we could talk a little bit about. Like, what spurred you on to want to have a neighborhood gathering? How many people did you invite? Uh-huh. And was it intimidating? And you know, talk about <laughs> yes. that. Okay, so I spent days um, with this, like, internal dialogue running through my head, questioning who do I invite, how many people do I invite, and hashtag COVID, and will anybody even come, and should I do food? Hashtag and COVID. Hashtag COVID again, <laughs> like, will anybody eat anything? Um and so um, I ended up deciding, I think I'm going to, you know, do a few things um, over time. And so first, before you go on, that is another risk. Okay. Uh-huh. Cause you're talking about COVID, but the risk at this point is, are people going to think I'm the crazy lady that doesn't think COVID is a problem? <laughs> yeah. Right. So you're like, uh-huh. okay, how am I going to do this where I'm not going to make other people so upset? So anyway, continue. Right. Well, and I, you know, like I, just embraced it. Like the last line says, I'll have some brownies and drinks, but I won't be offended if you bring your own. Hashtag COVID. You know? <laughs> like, yes, marketing. <laughs> that's, that's a great subliminal messaging, right? Yeah. Well, it's just like, it's being real. Right, um, right. You know, I want to welcome you, but I also get that it's COVID and none of us have lived through a pandemic before because mm-hmm. um, the last one happened a hundred years ago. So uh, we don't know how to do this. Um, but anyway, so... Um, I decided to start with just um, the group of kids that have been the neighborhood bike gang um, that has started recently. And so I printed off four invitations and um, rode out with my son and gave them to like one of the kids. And part of it I realized is it's confusing. People don't know what to make of it. Like there was a, a kid. Which is sad that we've gotten to that point, but yeah. you're, so, you're so right. <laughs> so one of the kids that was out there actually is in the same grade as my son. I'm, my son goes to a, a huge, it, the neighborhood school is enormous. So he's like, yeah, I've seen the kid before, but I don't know him. Um, and so I handed the invitation to the dad. And he was like, is this a birthday party? And I'm like, no, <laughs> it's just, it's just come sit in my lawn. Like, <laughs> it's not a birthday party. It's just like, come hang out so I can get to know you. You don't even have to bring a present. No, just come. Just come. Just show up. Like maybe bring a chair. I'm not sure if I have enough chairs. Um, but then, um, you know, one of the other uh, kids took it in. And before they took it in, she was like, oh, my parents won't come. They take a nap every Sunday afternoon. <laughs> and I was like, that's awesome, you know. But go ahead and tell them that they can come if they want to. Or, you know, if they already trust me, then they can just send you. They take a nap because nobody's ever invited them to come over. Right. So uh-huh. now, now they have an excuse not to. Yes. So, and, you know, the crazy in my head was, well, I want to invite. So this the people that I ended up inviting this first time they live on the other side of this main divider street um, so they're not my closest neighbors and so there was this part of me that was scared like but I also want to do this for my close neighbors and if my close neighbors see other people hanging out in my yard are they gonna feel left out and like offended and da 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 like that monkey mind running um, but I decided so be it nine times out of ten those scenarios aren't even true. Like mm. they're just things we make up in our head to like scare us out of doing the things we want to do. Um, so I don't know, in a couple weeks I'll do it again and invite the people that live closest to me. Or just invite them all. Like I, there was a period, there was a, my neighborhood consisted of, I don't know, maybe like six streets. And so I would try to invite everybody that I could and um, just come and go and you know, just do it like that as best I could and um, let people come and let people know. And the more people that come, the more people that are interested in what you're doing. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's the um, the crowded club syndrome, right? Uh, so it's like uh-huh. if you're going to walk up as a kid, you know, as a 22-year-old and you see this club has a huge line and this club doesn't have a line, 
immediately you're going to be like, well, I'm going to stand in that line because there's something <laughs> going on at that club. Uh-huh. It's the same thing that happens when we get old. So when you, it might just be a couple people, but then it's a couple people again. Uh-huh. And then it's like, okay, now what's going on? Uh-huh. But, and I think sometimes, you know, as we're planning for things, we can also make things way too complicated. Yep. Right? So you did a can of invitation. You had to think through how you were going to deliver those invitations. And then you're like, oh, I don't want people to think that I'm soliciting them. I've gone through all of this. And uh-huh. this is, these are all things that we, in our heads, talk us out of doing something really awesome. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. I mean, did you feel like that at yeah. all? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, and I think what I learned when I was starting that nonprofit a few years ago is you allow yourself to do that a little bit enough to like work through the brainstorming mm-hmm. side of things and make sure that you're not doing something like foolishly stupid mm-hmm. um, but then there comes a point when you just have to do it and if you screw up you apologize and like you make it right um, but nine times out of ten or more than that you don't screw up and it just it happens and it's fun and it's good right well you know the other thing that it does is it teaches our kids how to do it too yeah and I think that mm. sometimes I think that if we can find the, the motivation that gives us the reason to do it outside of just I want to do something, it, it helps us. So if our motivation is I'm going to have a neighborhood party because I want to teach my kids how to have neighborhood parties. Mm-hmm. So I'm going, to, I'm going to do this because it's an example to them. I want them to learn how to be good neighbors too. It, it, it kind of pushes us through some of those things, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. I've done, um, I've like played with network marketing a little bit and the biggest lesson when you start that is find your why. Mm-hmm. They always talk about what is your why. So I think that applies here, like why am I trying to invite neighbors over? Um, and if you're really clear on what that is, mm-hmm. that's powerful enough to get you over the fear of whatever. Well, because I think people are so used to constantly being asked to do things because there's always an ulterior motive. Uh-huh. When it comes to neighborhood parties, and I cannot express this enough, the ulterior motive needs to always be for the wealth and health of the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So when I would do Christmas parties, I did not, I would sometimes have people sponsor them, but if only, like National Night Out was one that I always had people sponsor because it was expensive. If I'm going to do this in a way that people, I'm going to get the most people that show up, because for National Night Out, we want people to meet their police officers, we want them to meet their local city councilmen and those types of things we're going to offer more and those are expensive and I couldn't always put them on all by myself. But for the most part, the reason I would have those gatherings was because I wanted people to get to know their neighbors. That's it. So you can't do it if you're going to be trying to politically activate them Uh or if you're going to try to be getting them to buy your product or Uh if you're trying to move them into a movement towards something, Uh you have to do it just for the pure reason. I want everybody to get to know each other. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I think, it, it's a weird, hazy line, but when you do it for that pure motivation, I think sometimes those other things follow. Of course. Because you're building authentic relationships. That's correct. You get to know people that use essential oils, and maybe they have not been able to buy them, or maybe they do. You meet somebody. There was a lady that lived in my neighborhood, and she was very politically active and has always been that way. Well, I'm a, I'm, I love talking about politics, and I, but, but when I see... When I mean politics, I mean like civics, like the study of being a good citizen and how our local government works. Well, then I'm like, oh, she invited me to come to this particular thing. We're having a discussion about whatever it was. Okay, that that is a, that is an or that is an organic thing that comes from these events. If your attitude is, I'm going to try to force my agenda onto someone else, it's not going to go well. No, no, it's not going to go well at all. And, and when I would do Christmas, like Christmas as an example, um, the last year I lived there, I had, I bought a Santa suit. <laughs> I wanted, my ulterior motive was I wanted people to know that they could drive around in their streets and still see Christmas lights. Mm-hmm. I wanted neighbors to know that people did still drive around and wanted to see Christmas lights because I knew that people wouldn't put them up because they didn't uh, think no, anybody was looking. Uh-huh. But then I also wanted people to... And, and the other thing I did was, so I got, I got everybody together, I got a Santa suit, and then I had my brother-in-law dress up, and then I got the local elementary school, the, the choir, I said, would y'all like to come and carol? And he goes, oh my gosh, are you serious? And I said, I would love it. I mean, I don't know how many people are going to show up, but uh-huh. I, I would love to. So he was like, great. Well, then I invited the principal, and I said, hey, 
you're a neighborhood school. I know we have school of choice in Grand Prairie. I don't know how many kids go to that school, mm-hmm. but I would love for you to get to know the people that live there uh-huh. because I wanted people to get to know this, the local school. And so then we had a Christmas light decorating contest. I said, I want you, everybody has a place in this whole role, right? You can either be somebody that participates in the contest. You can be someone that just puts lights on your house, or you could be somebody that views all the lights of your house. You can come listen to kids, our local kids sing to us, and you can have, we can have a Santa that you don't have to wait in line for at the mall. The whole thing cost me less than $150. Wow. And I had people that were coming from other neighborhoods. Wow. Because now I have the parents of those kids from the choir, uh-huh. and then they see that what we're doing, and then it's like, oh my gosh, this is so awesome. A lot of times the reason people don't do things is because nobody asks. Yes, yes, uh-huh. <laughs> Be the person that asks, even yeah. if it seems weird. Like I was like, but we used to have kids that would that would carol all the time, uh-huh. and nobody ever asked that choir teacher to do something like that. He was ecstatic. <laughs> he was so excited because now the kids get to show up and do something really cool, uh-huh. and their neighbors get to see them doing it. So I know that seems extravagant, but you also have to realize at that point, I've been doing this for six years. That uh-huh. wouldn't be something I would suggest to a novice neighborhood organizer, planner, or whatever. <laughs> but what you're doing. That that's simple. Yeah. Right. You have you have chairs that you bring. Come sit in our yard and talk to us. That's basically it. Uh huh. I'm gonna bake some brownies. Not those kind of brownies. Just regular brownies. <laughs> and um, I bought a case of bottled water. Like that's it. Right. And then if you want to bring other stuff, feel free. Like yeah. if you want to bring your own brownies, if you want to bring uh-huh. your own snacks, like fine. Uh huh. Um, but just show up and let's chit chat. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, people like to do that kind of stuff. So. If there's anything that y'all can learn from this podcast, it's that's what we need to start doing is the more local that we can get, the better. And the other thing, too, that we kind of talked about a little bit in our conversation on the phone a couple weeks ago, I think that people feel very overwhelmed by the large scope of things that go on in our society, right? You, you get bombarded with things, problems from other communities that are not problems in our communities. I think the more local that we can get, with focusing on the issues that our own communities have or the good that our own community has, the more that we see where we can fit in and help. You know what I mean? We don't feel so overwhelmed by it. Yes, mm-hmm. um, I agree. Sorry, I was distracted because I was trying to look up something that I wanted to be sure and uh, fit in before the end. Um, there is a really awesome organization, and I feel like I'm not going to get the name quite right, so maybe you can put it like in the comments. Is this the email you sent me? Yes. Okay, uh, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. I think it's neighboringmovement.org. Okay. Um, I think is the right one, but... Um, I will put that link in the in the episode. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's this uh, really neat organization, um, and it started with just um, two couples that moved into a neighborhood. Um, for them, it was a very poor neighborhood. It was the neighborhood that you don't go to, like you don't drive there after dark kind of a neighborhood. Mm. Um, but they moved there with the purpose, like they literally, they had no agenda other than to get to know their neighbors. And um, what they have found is that their neighbors, that neighborhood that's not safe, that's dangerous, is actually filled with really incredible people who have all kinds of skills and gifts to offer the community Mm. and as they have just started knocking on doors um, as they have started like hanging out in their front yard like one of the things they like to do is um, put gardens in their front yard and I know if you have an HOA you can do that but lots of us don't lots of us can Um, anyway so they literally just spend time outside so that they can get to know their neighbors so I bring it up because if this is something that you're interested in, but you kind of feel like I have no idea where to start, mm-hmm. um, read some of their uh, information. Um, it's really good work. Yeah, there. I, I've heard of another um, story. I don't. I was listening to a podcast where she decided to, instead of the putting the, to put her picnic table in the backyard that they wanted to eat, they put it in the front yard, mm-hmm. and would just start having family picnics. And then when people would walk by, they'd say hello come on over or whatever now people stop at that picnic table and eat at it even without them being there and they love it because that was the whole point it's something as simple as that and we actually have a a a developer that's coming in that's going to be building some houses on the way south side of town like down by 360 The, the the houses they're building now have huge front porches 
Amen. With the idea, the specific idea of get to know your neighbors and spend yeah. more time on your front porch. I think that TV and cell phones and all this stuff is distracting us from amazing things going on around us. Absolutely, yes. Like, it, there are beautiful things happening around us all the time and we just don't know because we're inside. Um, our first house, um, we, we built and we got the salesman in trouble because, like, we had him redesign the house with the front porch. And after that, he was like, so I'm not allowed to do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and then our second house that we were in had um, a huge porch and you can ask Jenna like the only thing we did not like about the house that we're in the one hesitation was that there is no porch out front no and so that is on our list of things to someday try and figure out but you know maybe I just need to slap a um a picnic table out there and not worry about how ugly it is because there's no HOA to tell me I can't so that's that's very true that's very true the other thing that I would add, and I think that kind of to, to your point about the, the um, couples that you were talking about that moved into that neighborhood and about to, to bring back the pushiness and the mm -hmm. inserting yourself. Mm -hmm. When you are somebody that cares about your neighborhood, you want to make other people care about your neighborhood too. So let's say that there's that pushy neighbor. They can now go push to the police department and say, hey, mm -hmm. I live over here. Would you mind coming over one day and coming over with the, ex like we're having this neighborhood party. I'd like for them to get to know our local beat cops or I'd, li I'd like for my local city official to get to come over and talk. And you know what? Those city officials will, will be so appreciative of someone inviting them into their neighborhood to meet more of their constituents. It, it does not need to be anything formal, but people need to know that there are people in this community that exist that care. Yeah. And I want you to know, police officer, there's going to be a neighborhood kid bike gang that is going to be <laughs> going around and riding bikes. And maybe you could drive through it a couple times and make sure that they're, that they're abiding by the laws, riding on, not on the sidewalks, but on the streets. Maybe you could make sure that they're not going places they shouldn't. Or just come by and say, hey, I'm watching out for you guys. Uh -huh. This is all a part of living in a community. And if we can get to that point... We will start to see so many amazing things happen. Absolutely. That's my opinion. So yes, but um, well, believe it or not, we're at the end of our time. I know. It, I, I'm so <laughs> glad that. Thank you so much for for talking with me. It it's just, I really think that we're onto something here. Yeah. You know, with with things that we were talking about. So. Yeah, I I hope. Um, I guess maybe instead of just hoping, um, I'm going to issue a challenge. If you have made it all the way to the end of this, you obviously <laughs> care about. <laughs> Um, building relationships and your neighbors. So if you already know every single one of the like six neighbors that are closest to you, like next door, catty corner, etc., cetera, um, gold star by your name, um, reach out to one of them this week. Um, could be any of them and or reach out to someone a little farther down the street and meet them. Um, if you don't know all six of the neighbors that are closest to you, um, pick one be brave. Um, Brene Brown talks about doing things scared. Um, I don't care if you're scared. Just pick one of them, knock on their door, um, take them some brownies, um, or ask them, like, if they have the most beautiful rose bush in the neighborhood, ask them, like, how do you do that? I'd like to do that. Oh, my gosh, that's such a great point. Okay, and now we started over with the new recording time, so we might go another two. No, I'm just kidding. I know you have to leave. <laughs> but this that's a great idea. Um what a great excuse. Mm -hmm. Get Find an excuse. Find an excuse. That's a great idea. Like, you have the most beautiful rosebush. How do you do that? Uh-huh. What a great idea. Yeah, just create an excuse. Yeah, because people love to talk about things that they're good at. Yes. And that, and their answer might just be, that rosebush has always grown. And I don't know why it's <laughs> grown that way, but it has. Here's the other thing, too, that I think that I learned as a real estate agent doing this is people that live in your neighborhood that have lived there for a long time, know the history of that neighborhood. And so one of the things that I would do, one of the reasons I did the Christmas thing was because back in the 70s, the Chris, they, they, all the neighbors got together and decided they were gonna have the same red domes that were in the front yard. And what the, they were just string lights that were all domes, but they decided they were gonna put it in all the yards and everybody agreed that they were gonna do that. So people would drive through just to look at those, those lights. And over time, only a couple people still had them. But basically what that signaled to me is that neighbor has 
put those out for a long time and I want to know why they still do it. Uh-huh. So when we would go around and we would do trick-or-treating, I would stop and say, hey, I don't know you, but I'm your neighbor and I notice every Christmas you put out these Like, Could you tell me more about that? Uh-huh. What a great excuse to ask them a question and get to know who they are because now the next time you see them, you can say, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Smith or whatever, uh-huh. and they'll know who you are. And that's a good point. Do not be afraid to say, I am so sorry. I should know your name by now, but I've forgotten it. Can you just tell me again? Yes. And then I promise you, you have your phone in your pocket, pull it out and write down their name. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> That's so very true. Um, but it, 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 all it does is lead you to, to be able to say hello with intention. Yes. When you drive by, and one of the things I love about Texas is driving, even driving by down the street, I still kind of wave or, you know, I'll walk up somebody and say hi. But when we can say hi, RJ, hi, Debbie, or whatever, it's just a matter of uh, acknowledgement that we all live in the same place and we know who each other is. And that's so important. Yes, really seen when somebody says your name. 100%. 100%. That's such a great idea. And I think that that's a great challenge we'll issue is this, this week, this month, over the next 30 days, do everything that you can intentionally do to just once get to know, either get to know neighbors that you don't know or do something else to cultivate the relationships you already have. Mm-hmm. Figure out a way to do that. And then I'll second that challenge. After you do it, share that with someone. Um, share it on social media. Oh, share point. it with your bestie. Like I have a group of friends I talk to on Marco Polo every day. Share it with your mom. Just share it with someone. Like I had the best experience. I you know, talk to neighbor about her rose bushes and we had the greatest conversation. Just share with, or, yeah, oh my share gosh. how it goes. Yes, that is so true. That is so, so true. Take a picture. If you're, yeah. if you're interested, put it on next door. Oh yeah. You know, because then you can, you know, say next time we'll invite everybody or, you know, oh, we had such a great time talking or whatever. Um, oh, that's just, because all of this goes to the mental and emotional health, well-being of a community. Yeah. That's what it does. And it gives other people the ideas to do it. Because I think that sometimes, and especially right now, we're all just trying to survive, right? <laughs> it's just about survival. We're not being intentional about these things. And I think that we need to start. Somebody yeah. has to be brave, yeah. right? Yeah. It could be you. Yeah. You be the brave one. So. Amen. Yeah. Thanks, Julie. You're welcome. I Thanks, appreciate Jenna. it. Uh-huh. Bye.